Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Trump. We take a look at the existential threats to the America we know and love. Some threats are obvious, some a little hard to notice. We try to uncover them and discuss how to fight against them. Joining me today is our good friend Mark Davis, host of The Mark Davis Show. You can also catch his work on townhall.com and dallasnews.com. We'll talk about his great piece on the Kavanaugh fight being a fight for basic decency and civilization in our existence as a great country. Also, Ed Henry, Fox News anchor and chief national correspondent. He'll join us to discuss the political consequences and the cultural consequences of the Kavanaugh confirmation. So, Claude, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Kavanaugh and its implications. Right. Uh, is it over? It's not over. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the implication, I mean, whether political, uh, the courts, uh, midterm elections coming up, what do you think? Let's just kind of go line by line. What do you think the different implications are? I think we're in a serious place. Um, crisis, maybe existential crisis. We'll see. We'll see how this develops. As we're talking this week here, the week of the 8th of uh, October, mm-hmm. um, it's clear the Democrats, liberals are mad about Kavanaugh. Now, as important as the Supreme Court appointment is, the anger is larger than that. It's it's about right. Kavanaugh. It's about Trump. Mm-hmm. It's about their sense that they're losing the country. The question is, is what's going to happen as a result of it? Let me draw out a few things. Let me start with the, the big biggest picture, which is the culture. I think this is kind of a disaster for the culture. What is the message of feminism? You know, men, I think, would say, and a lot of women would say over the last 30, 40 years, there have been somewhat con- conflicting messages. Um, are we going back to a, a new modesty, uh, which I think is at odds with some of the feminist stuff we got in the 60s and 70s? I, I can go along with the feminism, which says equal job, equal pay, promote women. I have, a, by the way, an excellent record on that in my jobs in government. But you know, there was also a lot of discussion about sexual roles, gender roles, and you know, male is the aggressor, but no, the female can be the aggressor, full equality, no difference between the sexes. I think we're now at a point where... Whether some in the feminist movement like it or not, there's no question that we're back to a kind of traditional notion of the male as the aggressor and the woman as the person who has um, got the aggression uh, directed at her. Thus, the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement depends upon this notion of thinking of men as predators. And by God, there are men who are predators, right. serious predators, mm-hmm. terrible predators. But what I'm saying is this is going to require more rethinking of the rules. For young people, I, you know, what are the rules now? What are the rules about touching? What are the rules about kissing? Can a guy make a gentle effort to kiss a girl? Or is that an unwanted advance, which can be considered a sexual assault? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. But kids have to sort this out. Now, all I'm saying is I think being a teenager is a tough time anyway when it comes to addressing your own sexuality, your interest in girls, if you're a boy, your interest in boy, if you're girls. And this just makes it a little harder. You know, what are the rules of the game? Right. Right. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, and also, you know, can you be against, obviously, someone being a sexual predator without labeling every single person who's accused of anything, you know, a sexual predator? Yeah. Yeah. You've almost gone from the traditional notion of the male as the more aggressive person to the characterization of all males as predators. All males as Harvey Weinstein's. Right. Which is completely, completely wrong. I don't know how that works out in the culture, but let me talk about something with more confidence, which is why I think we may be in some kind of political crisis and maybe broader civil, civic crisis. I'm going to tee off on something I I, I talked to Ed Henry about later on in this uh, 
in this show, and that is uh, Eric Holder's comment. Eric Holder was the attorney general for Barack Obama, and he said the other day, given questions about the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, and he's talking about uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas, people may justifiably question the decisions of the court. Now, that sounds like a kind of, you know, fancy $2 statement, but is he saying disobey the decisions of the court? I mean, what is that but a counsel to anarchy? Mm -hmm. Uh, Conservatives have been balking at, you know, Roe v. Wade and other decisions of the court for a long time, but nevertheless accept it as the law of the land. They've been seeking to change it, but they accept it as the law of the land. Is he giving counsel that people can uh, ignore the rulings of the court? Uh, I don't think he can do that and still have the same, uh, still have the same country. But let me put it more broadly. I'll put my philosopher hat on here. If you have one large group of Americans, one political party identified with the following propositions, let's do away with the Electoral College. Let's do away with the borders of the United States. Let's do with the uh, requirement that you obey all the decisions of the Supreme Court. Let's do away with the presumption of innocence. Let's do away with the notion of... uh, borders. What are we talking about here? Right. That, that's chaos. If, people, if a large number of people begin to believe that and act on that, we have a crisis. Mm-hmm. No, right. And then well, what's next is, why have a system of government anyway? Yeah. What's the point? You know, and then, at the, and then they, I mean, where are we at that point? Founders set it up this way. And, you know, they said the, the Supreme Court was the most, in a famous phrase, the least dangerous branch. Mm-hmm. But it's become a very powerful branch because when you have this kind of legislative gridlock and when you have some presidents and some legislatures punting big decisions to the Supreme Court, it becomes very, very powerful. Then, um, you know, half the country or a third of the country wants control of that court, feels it has it or is close enough with 5-4 or 4.5, 4.5. Right. Now it's clearly 5-4 conservatives. And so a third of the country is uh, upset, maybe furious, uh, angry, uh, going crazy on this. So I don't know where it goes, but... Um, you know, we'll see something, I guess, in the November election. That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, how do you think this fall, this uh, plays into the uh, November election midterms? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll tell you this. I was a guy who voted for Trump, thought he'd win. Mm-hmm. So I don't <laughs> I don't pay much attention to polls. But I do think <laughs> right. there's tremendous intensity in some of these districts. Mm-hmm. And I do understand why the Democrats want to do the Electoral College. Because they'd love to just have California and New York, you know, run the elections with their huge populations. <laughs> right, right. But um, anyway, um, I think Democrats love control of the House, but not by much. Okay. But they don't need much. They still get chair all those committees, which means Jerry Nadler is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Will he build, bring bills of impeachment? And if he does, against whom? I just want to come back to one last reflection about, um, and I talk about it with Ed Henry, but just a little bit of American history. And I was thinking... When those two African American senators were speaking, Cory Booker and uh, Kamala Harris, about history of the United States, there are a lot of black men who have been convicted of crimes mm-hmm. and sentenced to death on the testimony of women, uh, often white women, usually white women. This was, you know, back when. But those women couldn't be believed, but they were believed. Not in those days because if a woman says that she's to be believed, but in those days because of racism. And a white person's word was worth more, a lot lot of people thought, than a black person's. But it's the same point, isn't it, Claude? I mean, you can't just take it self-evident what somebody says. There's a long Mm -hmm. and ugly history Mm -hmm. of this. And it would have been good for someone to have raised this, I think, during the hearings. But I'm concerned right now, and I want to see where where this goes, because I don't know where the modulating middle ground is. You know, is the middle ground Christopher Coons, this guy who's been on TV a lot and goes on Fox, one of the few Democrats who does? 
Uh, what are the moderating voices in the House? I don't know. Uh, are there bridges that can be built? I don't know. But uh, I'll tell you this. If the Democrats take the House, you will not see a lot done yeah. in the next couple of years. And you will see a very angry President Trump. And you will see a very angry electorate on both sides. Yeah, no, absolutely. Did, did, did you have anything that you wanted to say about the news we heard this morning with the resignation of uh, Nikki Haley? No, I don't think it comes to anything. I think okay. it was personal reasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very pleasant, uh, cordial, lovey-dovey even uh, meeting in the White House. Mm -hmm. um, personal. Uh, she's had two jobs. I mean, that job in South Carolina. I mean, remember the murders in mm -hmm. South Carolina absolutely. Charleston and all? And the Confederate flag issue. My gosh, she's been through it. And then the UN, pretty intense. But um, it is a good job. And I hope somebody good follows her. She's done great. I think she's just done great. I've always liked her. And uh, the president likes her. She hasn't always liked Donald Trump. I remember during the campaign. Do you remember? <laughs> right. She was yes. very tough on yeah. her. She, uh -huh. she said, no, no, not this guy. But uh, she just said uh, in that little press meeting they did that she would uh, she would defend him. Anyway, that's where we stand. Um, we appreciate your thoughts on it. Claude, if someone wants to write in and tell us what the answer is to all these questions, how, just how do they do sure. that? Sure. Send us an email, uh, BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. That's mm -hmm. great. And be sure to share the podcast, by the way, with your fans, family, folks in your neighborhood. Have a discussion about Remember the Saturday morning girls? Yeah. Have a discussion in, in your community about yeah. the things you hear on the podcast. Can we bring back the Saturday morning pod girls this time as a pod? Yeah, sure. I'm sure Let's we can. Bring them back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Breakfast with the pod, with the pod listeners. <laughs> pod <go>. people. <laughs> You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now is Mark Davis, host of The Mark Davis Show. You can also find his work on townhall.com and dallasnews.com. Mark, welcome to the show. Bill, it is an honor. Thank you so much. Let's get to your op-ed uh, for Town Hall. Kavanaugh fight, now a battle for basic human de decency. Uh, are we in a, Do we have a, an existential threat to the constitutional republic the founders established in all this? We have a threat to the republic that arises ideologically, and we have a threat to our culture that arises organically. A, couple, a brief paragraph on both of those. If a good nominee, uh, like Brett Kavanaugh, a constitutionalist nominee, is approached with this kind of venom and this kind of pushback, then that means the Constitution itself is in jeopardy because the left will always try to advance the kind of justices that it wants, who view the Constitution as a malleable, shapeable document. And those are sort of the familiar language, no matter. We went through that with Gorsuch. We go through that all the time. This is a whole other placing of the bar. This is a, a, a time when we question whether certain basic fundamentals of civility even exist anymore. And not even civility, but jurisprudence and just the way you're supposed to act. If someone is accused of something of great gravity, then the only fair thing to do is to evaluate that claim. You don't instantly accept it because of who the person is. You don't instantly reject it because of who the person is. You evaluate it in good faith. That effort itself has been torpedoed by, by the bad faith and the bad behavior of today's left. So I, I think that the ramifications go far beyond even the constitutional republic and to the kind of society that we say we want in America. I'm glad you said evaluate the claim. You didn't say presumption of innocence, because when you say presumption of innocence, the immediate retort from the left is, but it's not a court of law. But of course, there is a retort 
to that, which I've been making, there's a reason that presumption of innocence is in a court of law. Law borrows from morality. Law is, as Justice Holmes said, the witness and external deposit of our moral life. The reason we put in the presumption of innocence. But it's broader than the presumption of innocence. It is, as you said, when one is accused, one has to evaluate the claim and evaluate the evidence. But not so here. It's amazing. Completely right. It is. And it's funny how the left will either say that that, that it is or is not kind of a courtroom set of rules. uh, And they'll say those things for convenience. but, But you're ultimately correct. It is not a courtroom. The presumption of innocence does not exist in the way that it would if you got a drug kingpin on trial. The rules of evidence are not on display as they would be technically in a courthouse. But you're also right that those rules exist. We didn't just make those up and say, hey, let's make a a set of rules of jurisprudence. This is just how people are supposed to act, even in the the ill-defined court of public opinion. Uh, it, It seems that someone's reputation should not be destroyed without cause. It seems that someone stepping forward with 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 incendiary things to say uh, should be willing uh, to be subjected to the kind of scrutiny that says, I am believable. I have nothing to say against Dr. Ford. I have no idea what to think of this woman, so I'm going to presume the best about her and wish her the very best as she goes on to a lucrative life of speaking engagements and book deals. But about her charges, as we saw the other day when the president was, was targeted for quote-unquote mocking her, he wasn't doing any such thing. He was no. in a very Trumpian, animated no, way, right. shedding light on on the Swiss cheese holes in her story. Yeah, and I noticed, and I'm glad you wrote this too, about uh, about her, her weakness of her story, because there's been too much, I think, conceded by our side on this, that they were equally credible. They weren't equally credible. I made the distinction on TV, I said there's a distinction between emotional credibility. She believed her own emotions, and was persuasive on that level to a lot of people, not to me, but to a lot of people. He was emotionally credible and persuasive to a lot of people, including me. But factually, she wasn't credible at all. And people are collapsing emotional credibility into factual credibility. They they are. And and something even more pernicious is happening. It happened to Jeff Flake, and it happened to Orrin Hatch with very different results. Let's talk about the activists cornering senators in elevators. And as Orrin Hatch said, look, I'm not going (laughs) to... I think his quote was, when you grow up, I'll talk to you. Right. Uh, and, and then they just went absolutely out of their minds, screaming things like, you know, are you ignoring what happened to me? Jeff Flake got this. Are, are you are you casting aspersion on my experience? And here's what we very delicately have to tell people who say that. And that is that this has nothing to do with your experience. I, I honor and defer and have prayerful good wishes for healing for anything you may have gone through, man. But that has nothing to do, and and for you, it should have nothing to do with your evaluation of a completely separate case. Tell me this, uh, and this is an honest question. You write uh, this is a beautiful uh, um, essay. Uh, you've written this op-ed, and we're going to put a link up to it so everybody can read it. And I've been reading everything, and yours really stands out, Mark. Thank um, you. But is this really new? Didn't we see this with pork? Isn't this... Isn't he being borked? Well, and that, of course, became a verb thanks to Ted Kennedy. And we go back to – and it's kind of funny because we go back to some some chapters that you and I can remember, but which a lot of people thinking and writing and talking about this – 
they were too young for, or they might not have even been born for. Clarence Thomas, 1991. Right. Judge Bork, 1987. 1987, you know, Ted Kennedy already ensconced as the lion of the Senate or whatever. We were in the second term of Reagan, and a, a kind, it was kind of the earliest days of poisonous media bias and poisonous Democrat behavior. It wasn't like this even a decade before. The Carter years were not particularly filled with this. I think in a way similar to what Trump has done, raising the hackles and and lowering the standards of behavior of the left, Reagan did that in the 80s. He drove the left crazy. So when it was time for a constitutionalist like Robert Bork to step forward, there was Ted Kennedy to say that in Robert Bork's America, America, blacks would no longer be welcome at lunch counters and there'd be midnight raids, etc., which was a vicious and terrible thing to say, but it really went no farther than to attack Judge Bork's uh, jurisprudential conscience. And these are the kinds of rulings that he would issue, and Senator Kennedy was totally wrong and totally slanderous in that regard. Today, we see a man, when you take a look at, at, at what Brett Kavanaugh and his wife and his children have had to go through at the hands of today's left. I don't want to say that Bork had a walk in the park or that, that Kennedy was a piker in terms of the, uh, the, the politics of personal destruction, but this strikes me as exponentially worse. The, uh, I, I would remind you there was, um, I know because it, it was right in our neighborhood, there was an effort on the, by the staffers on Kennedy staff, I think, or other people on the left to check out his rental record at, um, uh, you know, the video stores, Blockbuster, um, yeah. uh, to see, you know, and, and what they found was he was renting Father the Bride and some other <laughs> things, you know. But, but, I mean, there was this attempt to sort of go low, go into the garbage cans, and we have seen people in the garbage cans. But you think this is, and, and this, this is an honest question, do you think it's qualitatively different? I don't know if I feel better that it's a continuum from 87 89 to uh to, to today or whether this is a brand new low but um i'm just trying to figure out if it is um, I, I think it probably is i, oh, I think it, okay. and, and it has been a continuum and, and and here's where i i i try to glean some optimism and again as we speak presuming the success of, of of this confirmation like a whole lot of other things especially if I dare say a whole lot of other things in the two years since Trump won, not that he's singularly responsible for all of it, the pendulum swings and then it swings back. In the era of Roe versus Wade, we were a country in 1973 that was positively cavalier uh, about killing the unborn. We are far less so now. Maybe the horse is never totally out of the barn. The toothpaste never fully out of the tube. Maybe sometimes things can swing back. And so if you take the 80s through the 90s through the aughts to now, the, the, they, they've redefined the bottom feeding to which they will go to destroy right. conservatives. You've seen it, chronicled it when you did you know, the, the talk show industry so well and everything you've ever written and done. But maybe we're at a point where this just doesn't fly anymore, where this yeah. particular example has so galvanized good people of every stripe that they just look at this from a 30,000-foot level above ideology. It's not just a, a dirty Democrat trick or a, or, a, or a tactic of the left. It is a, an, a, an abrogation of all that is humanly decent, and that may have an effect in the November midterms. 
I thought, too, you were nice to chronicle my achievements. How about the death of outrage? I only say that not to brag, but I wrote a book called The Death of Outrage, and it was 20 years ago. uh, And that suggested we had hit a certain low, that the country as a whole was not outraged by Bill Clinton's behavior. Uh, Look, I I tend to think you're right. I tend to think you're right for reasons you cite in in your column. I'm just trying to get clarity on it to find out, you know, where we are. And you point out, I think it's Matthew Dowd's comment. I want to be sure I don't attribute someone else. What did he say? We will now have two, what? Yes. Two sexual. Matthew Dowd, and I, I will I will not waste time psychoanalyzing the Matthew Dowds, Jennifer Rubens, Max Boots, well, etc. Matthew Dowd was, people. however, a Bush guy, was he not? Didn't of course, of course yeah, he yeah. was, Nate, and so was Nicole Wallace, who is right, now you know right, a princess right. at MSNBC. Right, right, what right. what happened to these people? I'll leave that for another day. But when Matthew Dowd or anyone says, as he did, that he hopes that history does not repeat itself with the placement of another sexual predator on the bench, that is a slander against both Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas. It's like these people have no internal governor, no inner voice. That's, uh, it's like a shock jock without a program director, to use more radio yeah, parlance. Somebody to say, you may have thought this, but for all that is decent and godly, don't tweet it. Don't say it. These people have no such restraint. Right. Uh, and then the um, comments about that he shouldn't be allowed to coach girls basketball. This was a USA Today column, yeah. and, and they ran it. They attempted to backpedal from it in the most curious of ways. Judge Kavanaugh himself said, because of, of this, uh, you know, the, this, this wave of invective against me, I wonder if some of the things I love are taken from me. I wonder if I'll be able to coach girls basketball. And when he said it, I thought, I wonder if that's a little bit of hyperbole. I mean, as if what was happening to him was not bad enough. I wondered if he wasn't dramatizing a little bit. I wondered, now surely no one would suggest that he be banished from the sidelines of girls' youth basketball. But then there was a USA Today columnist saying exactly that. Not an outright claim of, of, of the worthiness of his banishment, but saying that it is, at the very least, a question worth asking, when it is, of course, nothing of the kind. And then they, they edited it a little bit. USA Today came back and said, well, it's not really our columnist casting doubt on his worthiness as a girls basketball coach. We're just putting the question out there. Well, you know what? There's a list of questions that just should not be put out there, and they were unaware of that list. Let me take this just one step further. This would convince me that we truly have entered into a new time, and it's qualitatively different from the time of Bork 87, right? Yeah. Right. Thomas 91, uh, Clinton 98, 99, uh, 98, uh, 98, 99. And that is, take what Matthew Dowd said, which is what two sexual predators on the court now with Thomas and, uh, and Kavanaugh. He's confirmed and half the country, the Democrats don't go along with it. That is, they say, because these guys are illegitimately on the court, their rulings when they're in the majority are not legitimate. Is that possible? It is completely possible. The 
question will be, how numerous will those claims be? That will be a daily drumbeat uh, on MSNBC and CNN and, and in the various uh, you know caves of the left. But here's what I, I, well, let me I interrupt I, you. I, let me interrupt you. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. of course it'll be on the, on the caves on the left. But what makes you think that the Democrats in the U.S. Senate are any different from that now on this issue? They're, they're not. They're exactly not. So let's take the let's take the commentariat. You know, the the punditry class where where people's behavior is already ensconced and will not change. The ballot box may change some of the the, the voices on the left. I don't assume there'll be a wholesale broom in the coming years that takes out Cory Booker and Richard Blumenthal to the betterment of our land. But but maybe they'll be chastened a little bit because what they tried did not work. The, the, the bottom line I'd offer on this is just, I, I take heart, it's the most unscientific thing in the world, and you know this because you've done this for a living. I have heard from so many good and decent Democrats on the talk show that I do. I've heard from so many people who have said, Mark, I listen to you. I agree with you okay. about nothing. I, I The Trump presidency is driving me crazy. Kavanaugh is the last guy I'd want on the court. But with all those things having been said, what's happened to him is wrong here. Okay. It is simply objectively wrong. Okay. I think that's what decent people believe, and okay. I think that is a backstop against the claims wow. of illegitimacy of Kavanaugh. Wow, wow. That's, that's really interesting. What you're really questioning is my claim that half the country. Yes, you might have the, you will have the media, you will have those caves, as you called it, media caves. You might even have the Democrat senators. You'll yep. certainly have Booker and Blumenthal. I imagine they'll sign up for anything. But you won't have a lot of Democrats. They'll say, no, you can't go that far. Is that what you're saying? I hope you're it right. Won't, it, it won't. Listen, I don't want to overstate that yeah. because in order to be a Democrat voter, what do you have to be? A Democrat. It means you've actually supported most of what Obama did, most yeah. of the, yeah. the hijinks. Yeah. But, yeah. but even even if it's 10 or 15% of Democrats who say, you know what? Uh, we, we don't like Trump. We don't like Kavanaugh. We wish Hillary had won. We're all, we're all inconsolable. But Kavanaugh seems like a worthy man who is done horribly wrong, even if that's just a few million people, it's still a few million people, and it probably prevents the kind of what you described specifically to the point of your question, is a 50-50 country where literally half the country considers him illegitimate. I mean, I don't even, listen, people tried that with Trump. Are there millions of people who consider him illegitimate? Of course they are, but I don't know that it's every single Democrat. I got you. How do we put these demons uh, away back in the bottle? Well, I've spent a lot of time wondering, what do I then do next? You know, as a broadcaster, as a Republican, as a conservative, as a hopefully a a godly man, do I keep my wound fresh? Do I remember what these people have done and seek to punish them nonetheless so that they don't dare do it again? Or do I let bygones be bygones? I, I think that the answer lies somewhere in between. I, I don't think I'm going to, you know, take to the streets with flaming pitchforks looking for the hides of the uh, uh, of these Democrats if they do not succeed in bringing Kavanaugh down. But I'm going to watch them like a hawk. I'm going to be aware of what has happened and be ever vigilant against any effort to go this low again. And I. I'm expecting they probably will not surprise me. Thank you, Mark Davis. Thank you very much. Bill, it is an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Well done. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. 
Now let's welcome Ed Henry to the show. He's a Fox News anchor and chief national correspondent. Ed, thank you for joining us today. Bill, it's such an honor and pleasure. Good to talk to you. How many shows have you hosted in the last uh, three months? <laughs> you know, I'm up to 36, and that's just in the last two weeks. No, uh, you know, the, my, the highlight was having you on, I think, when I filled in for Martha. I have some wonderful colleagues, uh, and I think I'm pretty much, uh, you know, I'm a baseball fan. I wrote a book about Jackie Robinson sure. 42 Face. Of course you And did. so I... Right now, I'm the utility player, and I, and I love it because I get to do a little bit of everything. Right. And are you for the Red Sox or the Yankees? I have to admit that we're taping this right after a drubbing that my Yankees received. Ah. And I was pretty pretty high about 24 hours ago because I thought we had the pitching lined up. Yeah. And I tell you, when, in Fenway over the weekend, we had a you know monster game with Judge and Sanchez hitting the homers. But, I, you know, there's this question mark about Severino. He's a great pitcher, but I think he's tipping he's tipping some pitches or something because he, he's hit some rough patches. Uh, but hope springs eternal. By the time people will hear this, they'll know the result, but I'm still hopeful for the Yankees. Wow, well, you know your stuff. I, I gave it up. I, I gave up uh, baseball. I went to the 12-step method thing, and I just gave it up. <laughs> I just really? I, grew, I grew up in Brooklyn, and, yeah. and I used to go to Ebbets Field. You know, and see your uh, Jackie Robinson, your great book. And, uh, you know, so I'm in person. They were day games. And my brother and I would get out of school and we'd uh, run up to Ebbets Field, get there in the seventh inning, and they, they wouldn't you know, worry about taking your ticket. And we'd go in wow. and watch. Then the Dodgers moved to L.A. You know, they got their portfolios, you know, wearing suits and stuff. And it, it, it changed. Then, you know, I'm kind of a historian. Then we had a strike. And so baseball, the history of baseball was was fractured. It disappeared. It was it, yep. it stopped being continuous. You know what I'm saying? And it was just <laughs> then the third reason is both my sons, big big jocks, took up lacrosse. And once once getting in the spirit and speed of lacrosse, I could not yeah. watch a baseball game. Uh, it's, it is slow, but I got to say, people like to ask, you know, who's the one person you love to interview? And no one's really asked me that. Who's I the one person you love to interview? <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking, when I hear you talking about you and Bob going to Ebbets Field, I mean, if I could sit in the dugout at Ebbets Field for 10 minutes, I mean, if I could do it for two hours, obviously, I'd, I'd be in heaven, literally. Uh, but if I could spend a half hour in the dugout of the clubhouse with Jackie, with Gil Hodges, uh, I've gotten the honor of meeting Carl Erskine. And so I've done that. I spent hours with him for my book. He's one of the last surviving Brooklyn Dodgers. But if I could spend, you know, do an interview with, with the boys this summer, uh, I'd be in heaven. That's it. All right. Let's go around the field. Let's see. Let's see what you know. Who's at first base? <laughs> who's at first base? 50s Dodgers. Four. For oh, go around. Well, Jackie wasn't forty-seven, but Gil Hodges is the guy I knew as the first baseman right. later on. Second baseman. Then Jackie was eventually there. Right. right. Shortstop. Pee Wee Reese. Third. Uh, who's the guy? Billy? Is it Billy? Uh, Billy Cox. Billy Cox. Billy Cox. Right. Right. Billy Cox. Left field. <laughs> Left field. Well, you had Gianfrido who robbed it from uh, DiMaggio in, in that series, and that was a heck of a catch. But I know he was sort of, uh, you know, it yeah. would move around. He'd go to Duke and center. And no, uh, no, you know, no, no. don't jump ahead. Don't jump ahead. Left field. Oh, no, no, no. It's a hard one because it wasn't a fixed that. The guy I remember the most was Sandy Amorose. Yeah. Well, he made the catch that, that, that really saved the 55 World Series when they won for the first time. Right. That's right. And center field, the Duke. Duke Snyder, you got to remember him. And who played the right field wall like nobody? 
I think it'd have to be Ferrillo. And the line that I remember from the book, Boys of Summer, more than anything from Roger Kahn, is when he said that he had a shotgun arm to the point that he could throw a lamb chop past a wolf, I think, or a lion. <laughs> that he, I mean, how graphic is That's that, right? Oh, to write like that. And what was the name on the on the right field wall? What was the sign? What sign? Well, it had to be, it was uh, the, the guy, it was Abe something or other who made those suits. Well, right? that was Abe. And if you hit... <laughs> If you hit the sign, you got a free suit, that's, buddy. That's right. But I, I, I was asking a different question. You got it exactly right. But the big sign was called the Schaefer Beer sign. It was the big Schaefer, Schaefer Beer, beer sign. sign. And behind, <laughs> and behind the plate. Well, of course, Campy, and I grew yeah. up on Long Island, and it's tragic that he had that car crash yeah. uh, in Glen Cove, I think, yeah. where my dad did a lot of his work. Uh, and uh, and right. then, you know, one of my prized positions is, is an autograph from Campy. Right. Um, and I actually met him as a kid. I was a high school baseball player. We went down to Florida for some spring training, and Campy came out in that wheelchair and uh, got to shake his hand, and that's one of my fond memories. Well, we can't get you in the dugout of that, but, <laughs> but I'll tell you, my brother and I used to go up, and after the games, we would hand out yeah. postcards, and they had, we, had, we had self-addressed, addressed to us, and on the back we just wrote autograph, please. And when the guys came oh. out, we'd hand it to them. They didn't have to stop; just put it in their pocket. When they went home, they'd sign it and send it. And if you go into wow. Bob Bennett's office, my brother, you know Uncle Bob; he's Bill Clinton's yeah. lawyer and all that. Of course. The first thing you will see is this montage of about thirty Brooklyn Dodgers signatures on his on his lawyer's wall. There, you know. I love it. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. very jealous. The two of you have some fond memories, and we could talk baseball today. But I know you want to talk politics. Right, too. right. Yeah. Well, actually, I want to talk baseball, but. I I got to talk about that's my business. I think I pulled you back from lacrosse. I pulled you back. I I know. I know. I know. I know. Lacrosse is such a thing to beat people up on. It's like, but not only did my boys play lacrosse, you ready for this? They played lacrosse at Georgetown prep. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. Uh-oh. I mean, white privilege, blah, blah, blah. Huh? Oh, my God. <laughs> Boy, did we have – I mean, you know, I live in Chevy Chase, Maryland, Bethesda, Maryland, that area, and Georgetown Prep. I didn't go there, but I know a lot of people who, who yep. did, as well yep. as Gonzaga, another wonderful that's Catholic high school. That's where I went. I went, I, went. To, I went to – oh, I didn't know you went to Gonzaga. I went to St. John the Baptist on Long Island. Uh, Gonzaga, I have a lot of friends who went there. And what was happening – You have a lot of friends who went there. you got to say Gonzaga. It's not Gonzaga. And okay, go ahead. And well, I got to tell you that that there, you know, what was happening not just to Brett Kavanaugh personally, but people who went to Georgetown Prep, you know, who were being pilloried as if yeah. you know they were these awful, awful people. I think it really, really yes. was an overreach. Yeah, I know. I talked to a great teacher there, my boy's favorite teacher, one of my favorite teachers, too. He's one of the best teachers I've ever seen. Uh, and he said, I just hate what this is doing to the school. And I said, yeah, yep. you'll get by it. You'll get by it. But, you know, um, it was uh, yeah, what, a, what an ordeal. And uh, last night it ended a uh, beautiful ceremony. But I, I'm curious what you think, because I, th- I was listening this morning to our favorite TV station, Fox, and they're saying, <laughs> You know, the Democrats are, are, are madder, even more angry, or the liberals even more angry. This thing goes on, doesn't it? This is not over. It's not over because Democrats are promising if they take back the House, maybe the Senate as well. Uh, I don't think they're going to take back the Senate, but they do have a great shot, I think, mathematically and everything. If you look at the races to take the House back, that they're going to investigate Brett Kavanaugh. They're going to try to impeach him. You've seen Alan Dershowitz and other legal scholars on the left even say that it's sort of a ridiculous approach. But I think it really shows us that the Democrats have learned very little or nothing 
since the 2016 election. They've spent almost two two years now, you know, basically denying that Donald Trump won the election fair and square and not uh, admitting that he's a legitimate president. And so now I think they're going to try to delegitimize Brett Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice. And, you know, obviously we'll see where it goes. The way things are moving at the speed of light in politics right now, we can make a prediction now about Kavanaugh or anyone else and say, oh, laugh off the idea of impeachment and six months from now we could be in a big impeachment battle who knows but i think if you just look at it right now it seems fanciful to think that you're going to impeach brett kavanaugh uh and frankly i think the president would love to have it as a political issue if democrats want to spend their time on that instead of figuring out how he actually won over voters in the middle of the country who are fed up with Washington and and want want to see their wages go up and want to see yeah. manufacturing jobs come back, which, by the way, Bill, they're coming back. Yeah, and they sure. Wage, wage, wages are coming up. And, yeah. you know, so many people from Barack Obama on down said that this was a fantasy and that it would never happen. And I think brick by brick, he's not perfect. And we can get into his mistakes. But Donald Trump, brick by brick, is is doing a lot that he promised. Yeah, no, exactly right. An impeachment, and you literally mean impeachment, you don't mean conviction. There's not a chance they'd convict uh, right, and remove. Right. But um, And, of course, they have a dilemma of sorts if they decide to impeach. Who do they impeach? Do they impeach Kavanaugh or, or the president? Right. And, and you're right. Or maybe both. People, yeah, and maybe they don't understand how it works, but yeah. you're right. You need 67 senators, and there's not a chance in the world you're going to get 67 senators to remove from office either the president or or Justice Kavanaugh, uh, because I actually think there's a good chance, uh, by the way, that Republicans are going to pick up a couple of seats in the Senate. If you look at the map at Heitkamp and some of the others who voted no on Kavanaugh, uh, I think that, yeah, the left, you mentioned that they're angrier. It was said on Fox this morning, Democrats are even angrier after Justice Kavanaugh is confirmed. Uh, frankly, I think that there, a fire has been lit under the Republican base yeah. over what happened and the idea of innocent until proven guilty. Uh, and so uh, I think that the blue wave might turn out to be a lot lot smaller than people predicted. But I got to ask what we ask everybody, which is House goes Democrat, Senate stays Republican. Is that I, your guess? Yeah, I still think that that's the most reasonable bet um, yeah. because, uh, like I say, I'm, I'm a reporter, not a pundit, so I'm not sitting here just saying Donald Trump's perfect and uh, everything he's done is sure, right and, sure. oh, the sky is blue, perfect blue. Uh, I think that the president has pro- political problems still, and I think uh, so does the Republican Party. Uh, and I think that it's just historical trending. Uh, that uh, things are set up pretty darn good for Democrats in the House. A lot of uh, Republican retirements that, you know, yeah. even though the president's out there fighting uh, in some of these key states, I think he's going to lift them up. I do agree with a lot of Trump supporters that the polls are probably off like they were, they were in 2016, that uh, Republicans are probably doing better in some of these key battlegrounds than, uh, than the media thinks. But on the other hand, there's just way more turf that the Republicans are defending in the House the most reasonable bet is that they'll still lose control by a narrow margin. Uh, and in the Senate, like I say, I think a lot of people think it'll be status quo. I actually think Republicans will keep it, but maybe I'm a little more bullish that they might pick up a seat or two in the Senate. Odd thing to me is, and I try to put down my partisan hat here, and I'm, I'm partisan now. I was a Democrat for 25 years. You know, grew up in Brooklyn. You didn't know any Republicans, but I've been a Republican <laughs> now for 30 years. But, but, um, you know, it is odd in this sense, and I say this in a bipartisan spirit. Republicans have an agenda, you know, about taxes and foreign policy and deregulation and the like. And what the Democrat agenda is what? Impeach, resist, 
uh, get yeah, even. That's what I was trying to. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say a moment ago, Bill. And I think you articulated it better than me, which is that what I said a moment ago that I don't think uh, Democrats have learned very much since the 2016 election. Think about they could have spent the last two years in the heartland of this country, reaching out to voters explaining to them how they're better on health care, they're better on jobs, they're better on taxes. But instead, they've spent two years resisting. Yeah, and yeah. I know there'll be some people who hear this podcast and say, oh, Ed Henry's not a fair and balanced yeah. journalist. He's picking sides. No, look at it objectively, folks. The fact of the matter is Democrats have spent the last two years resisting, as you just suggested. And I think they've done very little in terms of improving as a party and explaining what they would do differently. Instead, you're right. If, if Democrats take over the House, their agenda is more resistance. Their agenda might be impeachment. Uh, it's not about jobs and taxes. And if anything, they're going to take away the tax cuts. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to help the economy much. You know, I also, I think um, the American people are not radicals. They don't like radical measures. I, I, I figured out during the, uh, you know, 98, 99 with Clinton, they didn't like impeachment. They just didn't like They didn't approve what he did. They thought he was a scoundrel. They sort of liked the way the country was going because, you know, economy was good and other things. But they didn't like impeachment. I don't think they like impeachment. And if you're talking about two impeachments, it would be, be crazy. I just I just don't think they'd be behind it. Even people who don't particularly like Trump, they'd say that what they say is, A, it's not governing, and B, it's extreme. It seems extreme to them. Yeah, look at the tariff fight, which we haven't gotten into. And there are plenty right, of Republicans. Right. Again, this is not just a left-right issue. There are a lot of Paul Ryans and others who I know you like uh, who think, hey, tariffs are the worst thing in the world. And, you know, this president took the battle on, had some in his own party and yep. many Democrats saying this is foolish. And he's gotten the Canadians to give some ground. No, I'm, again, I'm not a cheerleader for him. He hasn't gotten everything he said he was going to get. But he has negotiated in a way that he suggested he would in the campaign. He takes a tough stand, then he, then he compromises. The Canadians have given ground. The Mexicans have given ground. The Europeans have given ground. Obviously, the ultimate one is China, which hasn't really given ground. And that's going to be the big one. But here's another fight that he waged. He alone waged yeah. with most in, his own, in, in both parties saying it was foolish. Uh, and, in, and he's taking on these serious issues. Yeah. Does he spend too much time on, on goofy tweets and other things? Yeah. I'm not pretending that he's like Paul Ryan and being some serious policy proposal yeah, guy. Yeah, That's yeah. not Donald Trump. But the fact is he's waging a lot of the battles that he promised to and that a lot of people in the middle right. of the country wanted him to. And that's why they elected him. And I don't think the Democrats have spent much time figuring that out. This is uh, take taken seriously though. This is a uh, time of, of great division in the country. I, I was reading my uh, my friend Alan Gelzo, who taught both my boys at Princeton, that uh, great historian of uh, the Civil War. He said, uh, other than the Civil War, this is maybe the greatest period of division in our country. I think it's worse than the '60s Vietnam stuff. And uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was asked the other day. I want to get your opinion on this. Where what will we see? How will this come out? Where you and I've been talking about already in the, in the elections, but here's what yeah. I think. Here's what I guessed. And then the other day, uh, Eric Holder gave voice to it. He said, I think you could argue that this court is illegitimate and that its decisions could justifiably be ignored. What the heck wow. does that mean? I mean, uh, you know, I think that's that's beyond radical, obviously, to use the word you used a moment ago. Uh, and I think what I'm, I'm I remember 
is Chris Wallace from Fox did such a great job in that last presidential debate in the general election. Uh-huh. First of all, he focused front and center on the Supreme Court at the beginning of that debate. Yep. Go back and look at the transcripts yep, or right. the video. Right. And he got Donald Trump on record with who, who'd he pick? Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton on record about what she thought on Roe v. Wade and guns and a whole bunch of important issues, which, by the way, in the Kavanaugh fight, it's interesting that Democrats really didn't fight it out on abortion and guns and a lot of those issues. Instead, they made it all personal, as you, as you said a few yeah. moments ago, yeah. and ma- made it a pretty radical fight on, yeah. on other things because they couldn't beat them on the policy grounds. Uh, but, but my point is, in that final debate, uh, both Trump and Clinton were asked about, you know, if you lose, will you accept the results? And if you remember, there was a you and a cry after uh, by the mainstream media that, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump suggested he would not accept this, that, that it would, you know, that it was rigged and that, that he would not accept it if he lost. But Hillary was a stateswoman. And if she loses, yeah. she'll accept it. Folks, she hasn't accepted it. Eric Holder hasn't accepted it based on what you just said. Uh, the people who were standing on the statues at the Supreme Court the other night and radically banging on the doors and all that. This is America. I get it. You can protest. You can you can you should have your, your voice heard. And I understand Democrats are mad with how this has worked out. But this is our system. And now they're saying, you know, let's add seats to the Supreme Court because, as you say, they don't think it's legitimate. They're saying, let's do away with the Electoral College. This is radical, radical stuff. Yeah. And I, I, you know, remind people that the Supreme Court has, as of late, come down with decisions as of late. I mean, last 20 years, 30 years, lots of decisions that conservatives have been very unhappy with. But, you know, the law is the law. And I mean, it's the supreme law of the land. When you start saying as a former attorney general, you know, it lacks legitimacy. So maybe people can justifiably disobey it. Then you're counseling mm-hmm. anarchy. I mean, I understand the argument about the electoral college and all that. Fine. Have a constitutional convention. Go to it. You know, if you want to change it. Yeah. I, I, I think it actually holds up pretty well. But to say maybe we'll be justified in ignoring Supreme Court decisions. Man, that's mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's really that's really out there. That tells you just how deep this thing is going. Do you know what? When people come up to me at airports, you're, you're reminding me, and they say, hey, you know, saw you on Fox, this or that. What they say more to me than anything these days, if they're Republican, is they say, Ed, you know, I didn't love Barack Obama. I was proud of my country that we elected the first African-American yep, president. Yep. But boy, I didn't agree with a lot of his policy. This is what Republican after Republican will tell me. But they say, you know what? I went to work the next day. You know, I didn't sit out and say, you know, I'm going to spend the next two years resisting. Uh, I, I shook it off. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, I've had this conversation with hundreds of people yes. at airports, yes. Amtrak. You know, the like, I had this conversation with a woman on Amtrak on Sunday morning. I was coming home real quick to see my family in between shows uh, that I was hosting in New York that you mentioned uh, about Kavanaugh for Fox. Uh, and an older woman from New York City came up to me and said, you know, as you said, I used to be a Democrat, now a Republican. And she said, I don't get how she said when Obama was elected, I wasn't happy. She said, but, you know, I moved on and said, okay, you know, America is going to be fine. I'm not going to like what Obama does. But she said, I didn't just, you know, give up, roll up into a corner. And that's what people like, even not just average folks protesting, but that's what the Eric Holders, who are supposed to be serious folks, used to be the attorney general of the United States, saying, you know, we're just not going to follow what the Supreme Court says. This, This is really out of control. 
Yeah, this was the guy who said we need to have a serious conversation about race, you remember, and that the country's mm-hmm. never had it. And then he puts this idea out there as he's toying with the idea of running for president. So how about yeah, that? he's stoking people. He's stoking anger. Yeah. He's stoking it. He's stoking it. And look, uh, does President Trump do that sometimes, to be fair about sure. it? Absolutely. And he gets called out by Democrats. All, oh, all he's doing is dividing us. Well, what do you think Eric Holder is doing when he's saying, hey, folks, maybe we don't have to listen to what the Supreme Court says? Do you think I, that? That, that's unifying. And by the way, Bill, how, mu- how much were we lectured uh, at the John McCain funeral and after that about how, you know, this is serious. Uh, people are going to now follow the McCain legacy and unite the country and come together. Yeah. And, and I think it was the following Monday that the first Kavanaugh hearing happened. Yeah. And from the opening moment, they were shouting down Chuck Grassley with resist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, honor John McCain for reaching across yeah. the aisle. Let's see what happens Monday. Right. Yeah. And we saw Do you think happened. John McCain would advocate impeaching justices of the Supreme Court on either side? Yeah. I doubt it. Yeah, I no, doubt I it. I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, it's it's quite amazing to me. And there's uh, there's, there's so much. I, I think also uh, there's going to be some major impacts in the culture. Uh, you know, as the father of sons, I can see this kind of rippling around. And, you know, as I said, Georgetown prep father, my gosh, it's rippled around this neighborhood. But, you know, boys and girls, uh, relations between kids, you know, young men and young women, it's difficult enough, you know, to be a teenager thinking about these things. Now you've got this overlay of, uh, yeah. of, of things, but, uh, it, it, it you do, but you know, can I add one thing to that? Yeah, I please. Think the president, you know, because I've been saying things that I think, you know, um, objectively that I think the president has been sort of more on the right side and has, has followed through on campaign promises where I think he's awful. I agree with what you just said. You know, you think about your son, I have a son who's about to go to college and absolutely innocent until proven guilty. It's, it's a very difficult situation with what we saw, uh, justice Kavanaugh go through. But I think when the president only focuses on that side. He makes a mistake because when he was at that pep rally to celebrate Kavanaugh being confirmed, he missed an opportunity. You know, when he said that Judge Kavanaugh and his family were traumatized, absolutely, he's right, and, and Democrats don't want to admit that. But uh, there were plenty of women who were traumatized yeah, as sure. well by this debate, who who have been through sexual assault. And I think he makes uh, you know an error when he doesn't acknowledge that. I, I think you're absolutely right. right with what you said about fathers right. and sons. Right. But you all, you correctly also noted boys and girls. Uh, I also have a daughter, and I think just as serious about innocent until proven guilty is that, you know, as the president himself said earlier in this debate, uh, he said that uh, that uh, J- uh, Dr. Ford was a very uh, credible witness, uh, something like that, and, and she needed to be heard, and that's what Chuck Grassley said. And so I just want to make that point, that I think that sometimes there are Republican leaders right now uh, who, who are only focusing on one side of that debate, and they should, they should open up and say, wow, it was a traumatizing event for Justice Kavanaugh, and some men in this country, uh, but it, it was a traumatizing event for many women in this country as well. Right. I think, you know, my, my view is you take it seriously. But I, I, I said, um, I've been saying there's a difference between emotional credibility and factual credibility. You know, she was emotionally credible. This is a woman who's had something terrible done to her, you know, uh, by somebody and traumatizing, um, emotionally credible. You know, she wasn't faking it up like an actress, but factually it wasn't there. So, you know, what I can't go with, um, women be respected, of course, listen to, yes, take seriously what a woman says, yes, but it's not self-evident. 
Uh, just because a woman says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because a guy says it doesn't mean it's true. Correct. And that's, Correct. you know, uh, otherwise, I mean, if we were talking about cataclysmic, cataclysmic things like not obeying Supreme Court rulings, how about, mm. you know, not abiding by the principles which are at the foundation of the country? I mean, you know, if, if you say, I guess I'm, I'm just to push back a little bit. If you say, okay, uh, we're not going to abide by the Supreme Court rulings anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do away with the Electoral College. Uh, the country shouldn't have borders. Uh, you know, <laughs> whoa, hey, the burden of proof is no longer the presumption of innocence. Uh, yeah, where's America? Yeah, where's yeah, America where, that yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, well, I mean, and also, by the way, there was a mistake when, while I agree with everything you said, women need to be heard. We, 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 we're, we uh, have talked about that. But then there were women who were protesters who, whether they, you know, look at the Jeff Flake incident, where there, there was a woman who may have been sexually assaulted. I don't know her whole story. Um, but was she was basically suggesting that if you believe Justice Kavanaugh or if you believe at least that the FBI couldn't corroborate that Dr. Ford's story about Justice Kavanaugh was true, you were somehow wronging women women everywhere. Yeah. That was a part of this debate. That yeah. was ridiculous yeah. because you you can hear women and you can believe women who have been assaulted. Uh, but still believe that Justice Kavanaugh, th- that the evidence was not corroborated. And, and so I think that point needs to be made as well. You know, just a little bit of history I, I've been saying, and I don't mean it as a sharp rejoinder, but can people go back and look at uh, Emmett Till and the Scottsboro Boys? You know, mm-hmm. these guys were, were killed on the basis of testimony given by white women against black men. Which testimony was was a lie, was false. And I'm not saying that's typical, that's the rule, but those dramatic cases kind of show why it is important. You know, it's a couple of those cases went on and on in the courts for years and years that we have established procedures uh, and that, you know, rights of the accused and rights of the accuser both. Yeah, I mean, you had people, serious people. You, people you thought were serious before this debate, like Cory Booker, who were basically saying no. you're not innocent until proven guilty in this in this debate. Yeah, what is this love uh, thing he's doing? This love campaign when he when he said if you support Kavanaugh, you're complicit in evil. Right, yeah, and that's... so you can believe women, I think, who have been uh, tragically, you know, were sexually assaulted, but you can also believe Justice Kavanaugh if the FBI can't corroborate the evidence. And I think ultimately that's really why he got the votes from Susan Collins and Flake and others, which is that, you know, they had that one-week pause, which, you know, McConnell and others were not thrilled about because they wanted to try to get this vote to happen. But they gave the pause. The FBI looks at it, and the Democrats started moving the goalposts and saying, well, we need more time, or, well, they're not interviewing enough people. They need to go talk to this person who's alleging gang rape without any evidence, by the way, without any evidence. So uh, in the end, I think, you know, that was pretty clear. You remind me of uh, your energy, your insight, and one of the things I love about you is your humor. Was what was the funniest thing? Was there a funny thing that came out? I thought there were a lot of funny things, but you just mentioned a name that I thought was one of the funniest comments about him in the last uh, three weeks. Which was that? Uh, Mitch McConnell when the president said, <laughs> "That's the that's the longest applause Mitch has ever gotten." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that that was pretty good because these guys holy, have not always been on the, on the holy same page. Smokes. Plus, Mitch is you know he's not a crowd pleaser. Let's I did a radio show for eleven years. Conservative callers, they'd say, "What are you supporting Mitch for?" I said, "Because he can get stuff done. He's good. He'd get done, you know." Yeah. And I, but the president says, "Gee, I think that's the loudest it's ever been for you." 
You should go to one of my rallies, Mitch. You know. <laughs> well, you know, and you remind me of something else, which is I was talking to a colleague about this yesterday when he asked me the funniest moment. That was a funny moment. What about when the president was having a news conference a few days ago and he didn't know yet if Kavanaugh had the votes and he just was honest and transparent because the president, you never know what's going to come out of his yeah. mouth. He said, yeah. boy, you know, I was surprised that he talked about how much he likes beer. Yeah, you know, I like beer. <laughs> yeah. I'm the, you know, and yeah. you can see White House aides in the background probably saying, don't mention that because no, that's yeah. one of our weaker points. Yeah, don't, don't talk yeah. about his drinking. <laughs> yeah. But literally anything that comes into the president's mind, he'll tweet, he'll say. And actually a lot of people find that refreshing because rather than hiding it, he just says, I thought that was odd. And then what did he say next? The president said, I've never had a drink in my life, which is true. He, his brother's alcoholism led him to say, I don't want to do that. But he said, I'd be an awful drunk. Boy, if I drank, could you imagine how yeah. bad I'd be? I mean, why <laughs> no. would he say that? It's it, well, it's hilarious. It's hilarious because we yeah. say when you drink, you get loose, you know, loose lips, right? You talk right. too much. So imagine the president on three <laughs> beers, you know, Tweet, tweeting with a six pack, you know, come on. Well, we, we need to have a beer and go to a baseball game one of these days. Yes, we we'll, do. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll yes. talk politics. We'll talk baseball. We'll go baseball if you'll promise to go to a Georgetown prep lacrosse game with me. Uh, I'm in. Let's okay, okay. All right, good. Thank you, Ed. Wonderful. Talk to you, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and your friends. We'll catch up next week.